Welcome to the GTFO podcast. This is Holly Kaplan. For those of you who don't know, GTFO means get the F out. In this podcast, we will be discussing how to get the F out. How to get the F out of a bad situation, predicament, or something you want to flat change. I'll be interviewing individuals who have had to GTFO. Expect to hear stories of those who experience situations of despair, pain, and fear. And the only way to escape it was to GTFO. Through this podcast, I want to give you, the listeners, the power and courage to make life changes should you need to GTFO. Narcissism is a word that has been around for a long time. It's actually a Greek word. It means a person who has excessive interest in or admiration of themselves. I know a lot of people like this, actually. It is only in recent years that the meaning behind it and addressing this, yes, personality disorder, has come to light. My guest today is Laura Carranza. Laura is a survivor of over 40 years of narcissistic abuse. She's now an expert on narcissism and certified life coach. She's also the author of best-selling book, Ugly Love. And she has another one that is soon to be launched titled, Girl, Get Out. So we have Laura with us today, and she is going to tell us how she was able to GTFO of a marriage to a narcissist. Laura, I'm so glad that you're here with me. Hi, Holly. I, it's a pleasure. Thank you. It's an honor, actually. Thank Aww. you for allowing me to be here. Of course. Of course. I got to tell you guys that I've known Laura for 15 years, shoot, maybe longer, and we have always been friends and we've always had somewhat of a sisterly bond. So I'm really excited that she's here with us today. Yes. You knew me when I was in the second relationship with a narcissist and felt trapped and was in fact trapped for about 17 years um, and finally, finally was able to get out. Yes, you did. And I'm very proud of you. And it was hard to watch that time period. I remember, I remember very clearly what you were going through. Yes, we lived in the same neighborhood and would pass (gasps) each other. And I'm sure that I looked broken and the shell of a person that I once was, but that's what happens. Narcissists can destroy you. Yes, they can. And I just you know, I wish I would have known more back then, but I want to ask you more questions today. But okay. before I get into that, just give us a little background on yourself. I grew up in a small town in Arkansas, and one of my parents, my mother, is a narcissist. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with standards that I was unable to meet, unrealistic expectations. You had to be skinny, pretty, smart or she would not show love or give attention to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it just starts to really eat at you and destroy you and things like that. You think if my mother can't love me, who can? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It begins to attack your self-esteem, your self-confidence. Therefore, I carried that over into my adulthood and can I ask up, you a question? Can I yeah, ask you a question? Sure. Yeah. At the, at the time, did you realize that's what was happening? Because I think we just turn, we just live in a certain environment because that's how we're raised. And her withholding love until she got what she wanted was just kind of, you know, her way of doing things. Did you have any idea back then that those behaviors were not right? No, absolutely not, Holly. I thought that everyone was being brought up the way I was. I thought this is just it, you know, that phrase, I, I hate it, but it's true. It is what it is. I, I, that's what I thought. I, 
my mom's like every other mom. I just have to survive this and learn to do what she says because she's always right. And family is about meeting her standards. Our whole family life revolved around her. Mm-hmm. In a healthy relationship, something I've learned through all the research I've done is the parents provide for the child emotionally, physically, intellectually, and spiritually. In a parental child relationship with a narcissist, the roles are reversed. The child, even at a very young age, is expected to shine the light back on that parent by providing physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually to the parent because they have had some unmet need from their childhood that they're looking to the child to fulfill. And those are awfully big shoes to try to fill as the child. Those are big shoes and that's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's exhausting thinking about it. You said it really well. You know, you said it perfectly. That's exactly how it happens. It's a direct reflection of her, if you will. Yeah. And so I did not know, you know, um, during my childhood that that's what was going on. Uh, My father used to joke, if mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. And we really (laughs) felt that way. My brother and I would struggle to keep her happy and meet her standards. And when you didn't, she would show in some ways that she didn't love us. It was conditional love and we didn't get the attention and love that a child needs. Right. You would have to pay for it if you didn't get it. Exactly. And the punishment never fits the crime when it comes to a narcissist. Right. Not at I all. Know. So I, I um, you fast forward into adulthood yeah. and I'm still looking to fill that void, that motherly love, the true unconditional love that I did not receive. So I met a narcissist who swept me off my feet and I married him and we were together. If you count the dating years, 16 years, Mm -hmm. long time, long time. Yep. Yep. Um, I clearly you married a narcissist. That's what you just said. When you started dating him, did you see any signs that stood out for you that you thought maybe this isn't right, or this kind of feels like it's familiar because of my mom, so I'm going to stick with it? Like, did anything resonate with you early on that would make you know that this would be another situation, if you will? That's a great question. And, and the answer is all of the above. He had um, some mannerisms that resembled, you know, my mom's, you know, he had very high standards, but yet he coupled those with love bombing. And that's what sucks us in. Those of us who end up with narcissists or we're constantly attracted to narcissists, it's, it's the, um, where they just pour out the love and attention and you're my soulmate. And I've never met anyone like you. You're the most beautiful woman in the world. Um, I'm so lucky to have found you. I waited my whole life for you and they build you up and you think no one has ever loved me like this. I'm the luckiest woman in the world. And then slowly they begin to devalue you. And that's the first stage of an abuse cycle with a narcissist is the love bombing. And the second stage can start almost immediately, or it can start up to two years later. And that's when they begin to devalue you and they'll use things. Oh, go ahead, Holly. Sorry. Did he start to deconstruct you when you were dating? Yes, he did. Because I've had that happen and you don't see it because you were so love bombed in the first 90 days. Right. 
that right. you're like, wait a second, he was right. doing all this, but now it's this. So like, which is it? And then you go on confused and you try to stick it out. Yes. Um, one example is, and I give this often in interviews, is I was compared to about five ex-girlfriends and two ex-wives. That was nice of him. That was so nice of him. <laughs> Sorry. And I mean, every, I mean, about everything, the way I dress, the way I wore my hair, uh, my makeup, um, int- about intimacy, you know, our sex life. I was compared to all of them. He would say things like, well, my old girlfriend, um, I'll call her, um, you know, let's call her Donna. Donna would lay out at my pool in a bathing suit that looked like an American flag and golfers would stop and just stare at her. And why can't you do that? Why can't you be like Donna? And um, yeah, so you begin to think, wow, um, he really dated some amazing women. I've got to really start working hard to uh, measure up. You know, because he would talk about his second wife and how she parented their daughter. And if I'm ever a mom, he hopes I can be a mom like her. And right. oh, it just went on and on. So, yes. So you that's called triangulation. They put a third person in the mix of a conversation and they compare you. So you will work your tail off to meet his standards in that respect. It's It's gaslighting and triangulation all in one. Those are all great terms. Everything you've said, gaslighting, Mm -hmm. triangulation, love Mm -hmm. bombing, all of it is so relevant to understanding Mm -hmm. what's happening while it's happening in real time. The interesting part is the parallel between your ex-husband and and your mom. Right. Because they're both so demanding in that way. So demanding. And no one meets their standards. Yeah. No one does. And it's easy to fall back into that because it's comfortable. You're like, yeah, I know this. I've been here. I Exactly. I get it. I That's get exactly it. what happened. Mm-hmm. But you guys got married. And once you were married, what else changed? What else happened? One of the biggest things I remember is I started to feel controlled. He would oh, take yeah. these elaborate motorcycle trips with only guys. He had a Harley. And he would travel all over the country. They would trailer the bikes to, say, Sturgis, South Dakota or Daytona Beach, Florida, and spend a week to 10 days down there sleeping on an old school bus and partying. And it was a, quote, guy trip, unquote. However, I wasn't (laughs) allowed to even go have coffee or a drink with a girlfriend. And if I said I was going to have a drink or celebrate, um, like a neighbor's birthday. This happened when she was turning 40. We went to celebrate her birthday and um, came home and he had locked me out. What? Yes. And my then five-year-old, I knocked on the door and my then five-year-old, my sweet, sweet boy answered the door and um, he goes, hi, mommy. And I said, hey, bud, you know, how are you? What are you doing up at 11 o'clock at night? And he said, well, um, dad's watching football and I'm hungry. And I said, well, have you had a bath yet, bud? No, no. So that was the way he was punishing me for going out for dinner and drinks with a group of women. He locked you out. He He just locked locked you out. out. That was his message. Yes. So I had to feel like shit. That feels like shit. It did. It did. And I thought, I thought, okay, I've got to stop all of this because it's not only hurting me, it's hurting my son. And he's the best thing that's ever happened to me in my now almost 50 years. 
he's 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 the love of my life that little boy big boy now but i thought i can't do this anymore he's made a point he's going to make it miserable for both of us yeah so i quit that was his goal i quit going out i was isolated yep yep that's really interesting it goes from control to isolation you know yes and it's easier to be isolated than it is to to try to do your own thing I mean, yes, and be punished. And when you're punished by a narcissist, this is what I meant earlier when I said the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Say I had done that again. I could have been locked out for a week. He might have thrown me out of the house. Maybe my son would have been locked in his room alone. I don't know. I'm just guessing. And I didn't want, want to face a punishment that shouldn't have even happened in the first place. So I get no. I threw in the towel at that point and said, I'll just do what I have to do. To keep I know. my son safe. I know. You do what you have to do. You just deal with it. You suck it up and just keep going to try to hold the family together. I understand. Mm-hmm. I totally get it. Yes. Um, at what point did you realize that you were dealing with a narcissist? At what point did you have a name for it? There were two or three times that it crossed my path, if you will, and I thought, Oh, that sounds like my mom and my husband. I can't deal with that right now. And one of those times was when I met Dr. Les Carter, who I do the, I have a YouTube channel with him called Surviving Narcissism, if any of the listeners want to check it out. And I was a drug rep at the time and had gone by his clinic to talk about a sleeping medication our company had just launched. And he was sitting at the lunch table. We provided lunch and I was going to do a PowerPoint presentation. And the sweet man, Dr. Carter, looks up at me and goes, well, hello. And he had a stack of books in front of him. And the title of the book was Enough About You, Let's Talk About Me. And I thought, huh, that's catchy. I go, what is this about? He goes, narcissism. I said, well, I've never met a real live author before. Will you sign one for me? Can I buy one? And he said, absolutely. So that happened. I walk and at this point I'm eight months pregnant. I forgot to add that. I'm as big as a house. I've got a basketball belly. <laughs> I waddle in, I waddle out, you know, I'm like, is the leg falling out of me yet? Cause I'm about ready to have this baby. <laughs> <laughs> Serious. I'm like, I am miserable. Right. And it's October and Carson came in November and I am huge. And so I waddle back out to the car and I open the book and I read one or two chapters. I can't recall exactly. And I shut the book and I thought, I, I can't deal with this. This is my mother and this is my now husband and I'm about ready to have his son. Oh gosh! And so I put that book up. So about, I'd say eight years later is when the second time happened. So um, about eight years later, the abuse has really ramped up. I spend five of seven nights sitting in the driveway out in front of our home crying to my best friend at the time. Um, She's unfortunately deceased of liver cancer, but her name was Dale. And I would cry to Dale five of seven nights. And I'm like, I don't understand it. I'm going crazy. I'm living in the guest room. Um, I don't know what's going on. She said, Laura, you need to get a book on narcissistic abuse. She had a background as a social worker. And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, please just promise me you'll get a book on emotional abuse. And I said, okay. So I, that night on my Kindle, Kindles were pretty new at the time. I downloaded Lundy Bancroft's book entitled, Why Does He Do That? Read it cover to cover, stayed up all night. I was like, this is my life. And that's when 
I, it hit me again. I got to pull out Dr. Carter's book too. And I kept it, read it and went to my counselor and said, I need help. This is what I'm in. And he said, okay. Talk about timing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with when you, you're in a lunch meeting with him, you see the book. Mm-hmm. I can understand the fear of not wanting to read it because it's your reality. Once you read it, you're like, shit, this is me. Yes. Um, I wasn't ready he, to handle that. Not as no, pregnant as I was. No, and no. I was supposed to be in love, right? We were taught yeah. that yeah. from an early age, you get married, have a baby, you're in love and you live happily ever after. White picket fence, couple of dogs, right. couple of kids. Yep. Yep. It's perfection. Yes. And it happens for everybody, right? right? And if it doesn't, you're not worthy and you're not enough. That was the message that I learned. Exactly. I got the same message. So you're definitely on the same page there. I know. I know. But, and you lived with this for a while. I know you've been working with Dr. Carter and it's a process. It was it's a, a process, process to, to, to change your landscape and get away from something like that. Um, what was that process like for you? It was, I would say the process lasted five years. Yeah. And the first couple of years were just learning what I was really dealing with and accepting it because you don't want to accept it because narcissists cannot change. They can change their behaviors for a small amount of time, but it's a true personality disorder. It's listed in a manual of mental health disorders called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders written by psychologists and psychiatrists. They cannot change. And once you realize that, you feel hopeless yeah. until you learn that, well, he or she can't change, but I can. So that's what I began working on. I began getting stronger and developing boundaries. Unfortunately, went on to have an affair. Totally messed up. Don't recommend that at all. Um, <laughs> met a guy at the gym who also went to my Lord, church. Bad idea. Bad, bad idea. idea. Bad idea. Yeah, you know yeah. what it did teach me though? This was a good man, even though he messed up too, but he was divorced. He waited till he was divorced to meet me. And um, it didn't last very long, but it taught me that there are good men out there. He went on to marry and adopt a disabled child. Oh, yeah. Um, So good man um, taught me there can be true love and and good people out there. Right. And you needed that reminder. Yes. Would never adopt first of all, because we talked about it before my son came along. And secondly, um, would never adopt something that wasn't perfect. So um, anyway, yeah, learned a lot from that. Don't recommend it. Um, <laughs> fast, forward, <laughs> fast forward a couple of years. I'm ready. I'm finally hitting my limit. And we'll call him Shane, the ex-husband. Shane walks in the kitchen one day and I'm so Sunday afternoon looking out the window. It's beautiful out. It was like the Sunday before Mother's Day you know, 70 degrees, gorgeous. My son and a buddy are playing in the backyard, just being little boys. They were eight. And um, I remember going, this is just a beautiful day. And we had just left church and I was happy. And the narcissist comes in and goes, and I had my computer open in front of me catching up before a Monday. And he said, what are you doing? Emailing all your boyfriends. And yes, I messed up, but this was five years after that affair. I looked at him, I shut my laptop and I said, you need to leave. It was just, it hit, it hit me. I, I said, I don't have to live like this anymore, Shane. You need to get out. That was your DTFO. Uh-huh. 
Yep. That was your moment. Everybody's got a moment. That was your GTFO moment. He made the mistake and he left. He should have never left the marital home because it doesn't look good in a divorce. Um, But he went and stayed with a buddy for a few days and then kept expecting me to say, come back, come back, because I'd done it before, crying, because it's hard to cut those trauma bonds. And um, What was the difference for you this time? Because you do you know, keep saying, come back, come back. I want the family unit. I don't want all this change. It's just so hard. What was the difference for you this time? You're like, nope. I had learned enough at this point and couldn't put the verbiage to it, but I was tired of the cycle. I was like, he doesn't change. He comes back, he begs, he cries for forgiveness, literally on his hands and knees. And I take him back. And then a few days later, there was abuse again. And and every time period got shorter and shorter. And I knew that if I took him back this time, it might be just a few hours and then I would be punished again for kicking him out. Or So yeah, I was just ready. I, I can't explain it. Um, the women that I've spoken with, I'm a life coach now to help women out of these situations or after they've left to help them heal. And there is just something that comes over you and it's this sense of peace that mm-hmm. things cannot get any worse than where you are. And so you're like, I'm done. I'm done. There's not one promise you can make that's going to change my mind because I've heard them all and none of your promises stick. What I like about what you just said is that you find that level of peace in yourself because you know you can't change him. And you know, the only option is to DTFO, (laughs) is to get out. And once you have that, you're like, okay. Yes. Yes. I can breathe. I've done everything I can. This is it. This is it. And my new book coming out this year is about this process of getting out. And I had unknowingly laid the groundwork for this manuscript back then is I had met with an, a divorce attorney or two, found one I really liked um, as much as you can like a divorce attorney, um, <laughs> had spoken with numerous counselors, um, therapists, done a lot of research on narcissism. So I was I was armed and I, and I told myself through that whole process, I did this for about three years, five years of thinking and planning, but three years of actual legwork. And I thought, I hope I don't have to do this. I told the divorce attorney, I hope I never have to really hire you. But if, if I do, you're here. Right. And Larry said, we are always here. You just let us know. They know it's a process. They know, They they know it's coming, right. They can't say that, but So I called their office that Monday morning. This all happened that Sunday afternoon, the week before Mother's Day. And um, I said, I need to speak to Larry Hance. And he came on. He said, well, hello, Laura. I go, I'm ready. He goes, all right, let's do this. And that was the change. I was ready. I made the decision. I was not going back. There was nothing that could turn me around. Good for you. I'm proud of you because I watched you go through a lot of this. And I know how hard it is to get to that moment, but how freeing. It is freeing. And then the divorce is ugly, of course, because a narcissist has the narcissistic injury. So you've got to be ready for that. But it's survivable. There, You survive it. There's just no other way to put it. You've been through the worst of it. And that was the marriage. Or if you're just living with someone, it's it's the partnership. That's the right. worst part. If you can survive that, you can survive anything. Right. You will get to the other side of the desert. You yes. will get there. And Thank you will get water. Yes. Well, after your GTFO, which has been what, five years now? Yes, five years in July. Mm-hmm. 
okay, tell me what your life is like now. What's Laura like now? Totally. Laura. Okay. So the first year uh, is difficult. And you and I've had this um, conversation. It's not horrible. It's not like you're still with a narcissist, but it's, it's a whole new normal. We hear that phrase a lot right now because of COVID-19, but it's truly a new normal because it's the first Christmas or Hanukkah without the narcissist. It's the first Easter without the narcissist. It's the first um, Valentine's day without a narcissist or whatever is important to you. Spring break, summer vacation, it's all new. And so you have to adapt. And that was weird, but I wouldn't say it was entirely difficult. It just took some getting used to. But if you even asked me that first year, well, do you want to go back and have, you know, Christmas with a narcissist? I would have said, hell no, no, no way. So then you begin to like, you're like, okay, this is, this is good. And then for me, it was after the first year, I would find myself dancing in the kitchen or laughing (laughs) with my son or, you know, I walk into my home now and there's laughter. There's always a gaggle of teenage boys here and I step over dirty cleats and the pantry will be decimated and, you know, there'll be a milk jug left out. And those things would have set the narcissist off. And now I just laugh, put the milk up if it hasn't spoiled you know, pick up the cleats and I'm like, Hey guys, what's up? It's just a whole different environment, but yet it's peaceful. It's fun at night. I sleep. I don't, I I don't have insomnia anymore. I put my head on the pillow and I go to bed. That's, that's huge. That's big. You're not walking on eggshells anymore. No more Uh, eggshells, no more broken glass because sometimes those eggshells turn into broken glass. It hurts so badly. They do. And that, that feeling that you're talking about is so freeing. Yeah. I mean, you're in your own environment. You got to create the environment how you want it done. And it's happy right. and it's happy and healthy. And um, I think you've said this before. Peace looks different for everyone. Um, I have a friend down the street and her peace is an entire house full of family and um everyone from babies through grandparents, like she could have 50 people in her home spending the weekend and that would be her deal. Okay. And I admire not her. My version of peace. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, my version of peace is kicking these teenage boys out or making them go to bed if they spend the night. And yes. then mama can watch TV and have a glass of and wine. And have a margarita. <laughs> or have a margarita, yeah. my favorite drink. And, um, and watch some you know, binge watch some show like Billions or, you know, Ozark or any of the crime dramas that I love. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that's my idea of peace. So girl, I'm with you. I love that too. I'm happy with binging and having a cocktail in silence. It's fabulous. It's fabulous. No one to argue with. No one to argue with or go, you know, (laughs) I have friends who can do his voice perfectly, but why are you drinking that? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, uh, what would happen if I wouldn't be drinking this is really the question, dear. Or why Jane. are you going for a walk with the dogs tonight? It's seven o'clock because <sighs> it's 70 degrees and beautiful. And unless yeah. you want them pooping in the house, we need to go walk. Right, right, right. So small yeah. details. Yeah. Well, I'm proud of you for everything that you've done. And I, I, Appreciate that you are openly sharing your story, just have just like you have in Ugly Love, and just like you will again with your new one, Girl Get Out. Yes. And I think that your experience will teach a lot of women that they can GTFO and be happy and healthy and safe. So tell me how people can connect with you if they would like to, Laura. 
there's, of course, my website, lauracaranza.com, my name, (laughs) C-H-A-R-A-N-Z-A. And then, of course, Surviving Narcissism on YouTube with Dr. C, one of the nicest men you will ever know and meet. Um, And then probably the best email, if you want to reach out to me, is survivingnarcissism101 at gmail.com because both Dr. Carter and I checked that. Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. And she, when you were saying Dr. C, just to confirm, it's Dr. Les Carter. Yes, and Dr. He, Les Carter. Sweetheart. Dr. Les Carter. He's wonderful. He is. Um, he is. We've got lots of good things coming up, not just a book. We are going to start an institute called the Dignity Institute, where we both teach classes. Mine oh, is on getting wonderful. out. That's wonderful. Yeah. And he's got some classes on like managing anger and your emotions. And so, yeah, we've got a lot um, we're working on and reaching a lot of people. And we enjoy hearing from everyone. Well, good for you because it's needed and it's great to know that there is a support system like you out there. Well, thanks, Holly. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap, Miss Laura. Thank you That was wonderful. Thank you for joining us. And um, I hope all of our listeners enjoyed today. And I can't wait to hear the next story on GTFO. Have a great day. Thank you for joining me today on the GTFO podcast. This is Holly Kaplan. To connect with me for confidence coaching or speaking engagements, please connect with me at hollykaplan.com or find me on Instagram at GTFO underscore podcast. Thanks.